0: Good morning and welcome to Tech Central Impact Series. We're very, very pleased to have Anna Collard back on the line with us today. Anna Collard is the Senior Vice President of Content Strategy and an Evangelist at Know Before Africa. Anna has also recently been recognized as IFSEC's Global Influencer in Security for 2022, amongst many other amazing accolades in the security space. Thank you, Anna, for joining us.
1: Thanks, James. Great to be here.
0: It's lovely to have you back because, as I said, we've had you on the show a couple of times before. The first episode that I recorded with you was fascinating. It was talking more about career opportunities um, and how to make a difference as corporates, especially in finding the required skills and the gap that's experienced in the cyberspace. Then more recently, we talked about mindfulness in cybersecurity, how to be a bit more focused in order for that focus to enhance your vigilance. And previously, we also talked about how to woo women into the cybersecurity and tech space. Which was, you know, three fascinating conversations. And although we're going to weave a little bit of today's conversation into those, already today I want to talk about preparing ourselves for 2023. What are those predictions? What do corporates need to consider? What are some of the aspects around people-centricity, vigilance, and really importantly, what might 2023 be in comparison to 2022? So Anna, thanks so much for joining Tech Central. We're honored to have you on the line again. And I know our listeners are very much looking forward to hearing what you have to say.
1: Thanks so much, James. And thanks, everyone, for taking the time. Yeah, I think that a lot of the the previous sessions that we had, they show how diverse the cybersecurity field really is. Like, we can talk about the skills shortage, which is actually a global problem. We can talk about attracting more women or um, you know, a more diverse um, workforce into the field because it's unfortunately still very male and pale. <laughs> we can talk really? about um, the, the people-centric side of it. it. It's really fascinating. That's why I, I love it because it, you, you'll never get bored. and. You know, I've been in this field for like twenty years or over twenty years and I still tell people I'm a beginner because you you have to learn each day there are new things to uncover, new I don't know, emerging technologies to dive into and understand better because from a security angle we have to sort of have a finger on the pulse and all of these things because nothing, whether that's you know, AI, fourth industrial revolution, the metaverse, whatever you name it. None of that will will work properly unless we have um, safeguards and security controls built in, rather than you know put it on as an afterthought. Which, by the way, is one of the the technical debts that we carry with us. Is that we have so far in the Web two world or in the sort of you know legacy internet, we carry a lot of vulnerabilities and and risks and and weaknesses because we haven't built in security from the get go or from the design phase. And that's, unfortunately, that's sort of haunting us now when we look at, you know, risks like supply chain, um, the interdependency and the complexity of of securing it all. But yeah, I I know we're here to talk about next year and what I would like to do is just... mm -hmm.
0: And and then I feel like you're jumping ahead because one of the things I'm definitely going to end with is the importance of board membership, board positions and board perspective on this topic. But before we get to that, and just talking a bit about people centricity and the importance of bringing the, the perspective of different people and their experiences to the fore. Please tell us a bit more about what you experienced more recently in Geneva at the World Economic Forum. I know cybersecurity was something you were, were there for, and that was the, the, the purpose of a lot of the conversation. What were some of the people centric perspectives? Yeah,
1: that, that meeting was really fascinating, apart from obviously meeting incredibly um, inspiring leaders in the field. What I found quite con- sort of affirming is that no matter where we are in the world, whether that's South Africa or the rest of the world, we all sort of seem to be fighting the same battles. We have the same challenges that we that we need to address. And a, a common theme across the, the forum was that we have to absolutely work more together. We have to collaborate. As a public-private sector, um, we need to share more information and tackle the challenges, such as, for example, the skill shortage, which is a—it really is a—a a, a massive um, global challenge for anyone that uh, manages a security team or uh, emerging technology, for that matter. Um, on, on how we can um, address that. The other themes that came up in terms of you know particularly for the for next year or the 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 next coming years is um emerging technologies such as quantum computing in fact um, a lot of people are worried about the the very first capable quantum computer coming out next year uh, that is that will be able to break current uh, encryption and it's the, the the speed of the innovation is just happening um, so quickly that it's very difficult to keep up and um, as security professionals we have to prepare for those eventualities or they're not just eventualities, they're realities. And so that was a, a common theme. The other thing that was uh, discussed there and there were representatives uh, from the Ukraine, uh, in fact, the their cyber defense um, representative was there talking about the effect the cyber war has had on the Ukraine specifically. But there's also always spillover effects. So some of the, the examples used, they were um the use of malware technology such as ransomware, but in a destructive only matter. So instead of encrypting information for the purpose of n- negotiating ransom payments, a lot of these are so-called wiper malware as being used purely to destroy the target's critical infrastructure, for example. And those types of attacks, um, as we've seen with NonPetya, for example, a couple of years ago, they sometimes spill out of the intended target um, you know, boundary and then can have quite a sort of collateral damage effect. So that was uh, spoken about. The other thing that uh, we was definitely raised, and it's something that I think in particularly in emerging economies such as South Africa, we are very concerned about is just the proliferation and the increase in, in ransomware and extortionists in general. I mean, we've seen it with Costa Rica where a whole government was literally put on on pause for a couple of weeks because they fell victim to the, the Conti ransomware as a service group, and um, and in fact, just two three weeks ago, there was another island um, nation. I think they called Vanuatu. I don't know if I've, if I've yep. pronounced it correctly, but it's like a it's an island in um, in the Pacific that also was hit by ransomware. Uh, we don't know, you know, which which group yet that was um, behind that, but it it literally puts like in in costa rica the the government they all rely on, on digital means and and they they can't operate so they can't pay salaries they can't collect taxes um you can't pay out grants and we had it in south africa too right last year the department of justice was hit nice. so the effect on an economy and even a society at large that comes with these ransomware attacks, it's, the impact is just so much higher than just, let's say, somebody's photos being taken hostage, you know, uh, which is how ransomware started a couple of years ago, is, is to target individuals and trying to uh, extort money from them by um, encrypting the information. What so, we also see no, no, is what, what, that... Sorry. No, you go ahead. Yes, just on the whole ransomware or extortionist conversation is something that's quite concerning is that, and it's, it's, we've seen this in, in reports, um, from various sources and at the forum, they also confirmed it again, is that there is a shift away from the more traditional sort of financial services industry towards the manufacturing and critical infrastructure uh, sector um so the the extortionists realize that when they attack let's say a nation's electricity um you know station or like we had in south africa like our ports authority that that obviously the the leverage they have is so much bigger even because it has this, this more sort of socioeconomic impact. So we'll, we'll expect to see more of that, unfortunately, in, in the coming year. And from a South African point of view or African perspective, the challenge we have is that we don't have the same resources that the US or some of the European nations have, both from a public sector as well as a private sector point of view to proactively prevent and uh, protect against that.
0: You've clearly identified that there's a lot of skills gap in what would be required in order to facilitate and prepare and anticipate some of the hacks that are happening in the world at the moment. And we're looking at historical trends. You've just been at the forum where you've spoken about current trends. What are some of the concerns that we might be anticipating, especially going into December, January, starting the new year, hitting 2023? What are some of those trends we're likely to expect in 2023?
1: Yeah, so the, the first one being that the extortionists or the ransomware actors are not going anywhere. They'll be very active, particularly um, actually during this time of the year. Something to be aware of is that whether that's a ransomware attack or any other uh, scam or cyber um, attack, they very often start with as the initial attack vector with a social engineering attack, meaning they will try and trick a person to... Uh, Click on a phishing email, for example. So those arrive particularly during this time of year, where people may be a little bit distracted. They expect parcels to be delivered, um, and that unfortunately makes us a bit more susceptible to fall for these typical social engineering techniques. Also, you know, themes like the soccer World Cup, um, anything that's popular that people are interested in will be used by the criminals to try and lure us or trick us into falling for their for their schemes, and. Again, it I, can,
0: I can just say I, I read about three specifics that happen often at this time of year. And, and you're talking about the um, Soccer World Cup. Another one is the fact that people are sharing um, digital gift cards, e-cards.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly.
0: Charities are susceptible, but people are also offering to support and give to charities. And the third is that people are often into, uh, engaging and, and uh, receiving payments and sending payments through crypto, and I think those those are three th- topics that came right to the surface in terms of social engineering you talk about.
1: Exactly. In fact, you know, you mentioned the crypto space. That is absolutely rife with with scams. And something that's been happening in the let's call it the crypto scam space is that they combine their uh, techniques with the romance scammers. So you might find someone. Um online you know you you start like an online relationship, and then that person, once he or she gained your trust, will try to convince you into investing in that particular crypto whatever scam it might be um That's been quite prolific amongst the younger generation, you know, like we often think about romance scams, this is only just something that old ladies fall for, not at all. It really is like a targeted sort of um the trend at the moment you try and lure people into investing um into fake for example NFT projects or um so-called rug pull projects like, like fake crypto investments um by by um gaining their trust through um romantic relationships so it's it's quite interesting how the different channels let's call them that or vectors um sometimes it's called multi-channel attacks actually where the the adversaries use, you know, multiple, um, well, channels to try and and, and get their um, their results.
0: And the assumption is it might only be via your email, but the social engineering, it approaches you through social media. It approaches you via your mobile phone and other formats. And I I think that we're all, especially corporates, are, are using and going more towards the cloud and that brings a whole series of other risks and exposures. So too does the, the, the prolific use of bring your own device to the workplace. And all of these different challenges and, and avenues expose organizations, and the, the, the research shows, to so many different vectors that are, are, are exposed and, and access points.
1: Yeah, so you mentioned the social engineering via the phone, and that's exactly what uh, we've seen more of, is that because of um, COVID, and obviously people working more from home or the use of cloud, one of the additional security layers that organizations have rolled out, which is a good thing, is multi-factor authentication. So that's that second additional vector to username and password, like a one-time password app, for example, on your phone. Sometimes they even, they still use SMSs. Um, Anyway, so so because the the organizations have added that additional layer, the the social engineers or the attackers have to use different mechanisms to steal somebody's credentials. So what they've been starting to do is to use very targeted phone-based or so-called vishing attacks where they call the users and trying to trick them into handing over their one-time password over the phone. In fact, I had a a case with a friend of mine where she received a phone call with perfect local accent that pretended to be from the IT department and doing some security update and tricking her into handing over that Mm one-time password over the phone. So we see a lot more of these type of um, attacks against your authentication infrastructure. And what we're suggesting there is really to invest into a phishing-resistant Multi-factor authentication solution. A lot of the, um, sort of legacy solutions are not phishing resistant. Um, you know, uh, we've, in in our case, for example, we have a a, a so-called hardware token that I have to still then verify with my, um, with my uh, fingerprints. Um, so, you know, we just have to add, you know, it's like a sketch and mouse thing. So we, we add one layer and then they try and break it through, again, attacking the oh. human through phishing attacks, social engineering attacks. So we have to add another layer to make that um, even more difficult to do so. And that's one of the big trends for next year is to um, prevent or protect against that MFA or multi-factor authentication, um, mm-hmm. circumvening attacks.
0: So you say we got to stay one step ahead, and this is where I think we weave in that, that, the importance of senior leadership buying into the fact that security is not just you know, parts of compliance training; it actually is part of the strategy.
1: Absolutely, I think on a positive note though is that more and more board members or sort of executive leaderships are becoming aware of the fact that you know cyber security is part of organisational resilience. We have to. Um, Bring it into the board's agendas and and in and, and many organizations it is um and we can use that added level of awareness to gain um leadership buy-in and support to run campaigns to uh, get the necessary budgets to expand teams because let's face it you know we without it without digital um mechanisms we can't do anything anymore and we can't use those
0: technologies if we don't properly secure them. I mean as as you're talking, I just think about critical infrastructure attacks. You know, imagine that access to a building was restricted. You know, how ridiculous would that be? Your IT department can't even get into the building to help you with your IT issues. And the reason yeah. why they can't get in is because your IT systems are being hacked. And I think that exactly knowing knowing that the, you've got such a matter experts you know, like yourself and and know before with the the insights into what's happening, what's likely to happen next year, and the the ongoing hand-holding that actually is required, but also the confidence for organizations to go out into the world, carry on normal business, having taken some precautions and constantly reiterating those precautions. Yeah,
1: and I think if we, you know, try and sort of prepare for next year some of the also that those were the, the recommendations that came out of the the forum meeting is that we need to try and find because we we can't solve this problem by ourselves you know we're not Nobody's in a silo like you may have suppliers or partners or customers that were you attacked may be impacted by that, too. So we have to work in that ecosystem. You have to understand that we all interdependent on each other, which also means that we need to work more together. We have to collaborate together. We have to share information together. We need to try and join whether that's an industry forum or a um, technology you know, way of, of sharing information, that's absolutely crucial to try and tackle this problem. Um, I know in South Africa, you know, our financial services obviously have fantastic security teams and um, perhaps they, you know, there could be more sharing between public sector, which is, I know is already going on, but that that they can tap into some of the skills that are available there, even though they, they obviously need them for their own infrastructure as well. But we just have to find ways that we can tackle this as a as a community together. Pretty much like, um, um, you know, Charles van der Wald often uses that example of the neighborhood watch. You know, if we all come together, we can achieve so much more. Um, the other thing that we need to do is, as I mentioned, we have to just expect the, the like be sort of one step ahead by expecting what's, what's about to come. So the fact that there'll be more cyber extortions, more ransomware attackers, um, the fact that they will attack your human layer, that's a reality. So we need to try and just... Prepare for that. And when I say prepare it doesn't necessarily mean spending millions. It means, okay, let's have an incident response plan. What do we do if and when this happens? Who do we call? Who can we um, you know, rely on to help us in the in the like on the day in in the event that this happens? And then do these sort of um role plays or simulated walkthroughs because they then will uncover where you may have gaps you know you may have a gap on the process side not even the technology side the the third one i would say is definitely the sort of the the human layer like continuous awareness training um both at your at your top levels management as well as all the sort of different user levels and the technology side to keep abreast of what's what is the latest scams how do they operate like for example this voice phishing attack that i mentioned where they try and lure you to get your multi like your one-time password so we need to tell people about that um and then lastly i think something that i I thought was really cool is um sort of use creative approaches to address the skill shortage something that um hp uh, this is the, one of the representatives. They, um, HP is. Uh, they have a great um, program that they call. Um i can't I can't remember what it is called, school, but it, it's sort of they allow anyone to join their security team. The only prerequisite is that they have a pulse so they have to be alive doesn't matter what background they have they they basically take anyone whether it's a bus driver, a restaurant owner, and they then take them through a training program to give them the necessary skills. so they literally open it up It's something that I know is pretty frustration uh, frustrating locally for some of the CISOs that say well. We just need people with the right attitude and the attitude. We will teach them, but the HR or the personnel department still have these requirements or they have to have a master's degree or whatever. You cannot find those people with master's degrees that have the necessary skills. So rather, let's open it up, give anyone a chance. And it's working in HP. I mean, the, the, the gentleman shared... Um, the fact that these people are so grateful for that opportunity means they're much more loyal, they're harder working, you can pay them a bit less in the beginning because they obviously don't have the sort of qualifications yet. And it's just a, a win-win overall, you know. So those are the kind of more creative approaches I think that we need to put on the table. I mean, we've spoken about it before in South Africa. It's such a disgrace that our youth, the, the unemployment rate is so high. Um, so we have to tap into that and give those those kids a chance we complain about skill shortages, well, let's educate them and fix that problem, you know. So that's, um, yeah, I guess that's sort of the the summary is to collaborate, to uh, share information, to expect that the uh, ransomware attacks are not going to go anywhere and prepare for that. The way you can prepare for it, like for any security... um, the uh, scenario is defense and death. There's not one silver bullet. You just have to do the basics right. And then the creative approaches to address the skill shortage.
0: I love that. And I, I think your, your positive attitude and your, your, your message that you're clearly giving is that there's a door to be opened, whether that's filling the skills, skills gap, empowering people, giving people that autonomy, creating you know, not just creating employment, but creating skills that can support entire industries is vital but so too is it important to close a door somewhere else and make sure that we understand what doors we're closing, why we're closing them, and how securely closed they need to be. And I say that because the point you've made there, especially around collaboration, is that we do need to live in a more trusting world. And I started talking about um, human centricity. Recognizing that you may be a competitor in the industry, it would be more embarrassing if you didn't share your experiences with your industry peers and they too were full foul of an incident or a hack that then left you both or rendered you both useless. And it isn't so much a case of saying I'm, I, I'm, I'm flailing or I've drowned. It's a case of saying, let's look after the assets that we've created and let's look after the future of organizations, but also the future of our country and the people that work within it. So, for well, me, James Rass was at Tech Central. Anna Collard at Noble for Africa. Thank you very, very much for your time. Thanks for your insights. We so much look forward to, to sharing some more articles around this, but also attaching some of the, the links to what we've been talking about and some of the references that you've referred to during today's conversation in the, in the podcast, which is available at the Tech Central website, but also on YouTube. So to all of our listeners, thank you very much, Anna Collard. Thank you for your time. We thoroughly enjoy having you on our show.